Hello and welcome to the Deep 2 NBA podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer. Mr. Boffer, man, how are we? So good. So good. good. Not as good as Anthony Davis though. No, no. A lot of shots he took, uh, making up making up lost ground for his last game, I assume. Yeah, but, you know, 42 points is decent output. So yeah. Not quite as good as that, but I'm probably putting myself at like 36, mm. 36 points. An efficient 36 points. Well, he's no, what's it called? He's no TJ Warren, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, is, is TJ Warren even TJ Warren at this point? Yes, man, this is TJ. This is all legit. Like, what did TJ Warren have today? So I think it was the 36 that you're talking about. But yeah. um, what do you have? Like four blocks, three steals, a couple of assists, a few rebounds. Like, he's, he, he's scored like, he scored like 85 points in his last two games. <laughs> did you see the photo that I put in our, our shared Google Drive of PJ Tucker? No, I didn't. So it's just a photo of him just getting interviewed after the game. And it's like, just imagine a year from now, someone shows you this photo. Because I, I love looking at those memes where it's like, look, imagine someone said this and it's just, you know, empty toilet rolls or something like that. And what if someone said, imagine they're like trying to describe this photo to someone a year from now. And it's TJ Warren um, sitting in front of a court with no fans that looks just like, some, it looks like a, sort of a practice court for, someone doing those 2K, NBA 2K motion trials or whatever, and he's just sitting there getting interviewed by someone that you can't even see. And if you'd seen the caption, 53 points, it would be uh, very interesting. You'd wonder what's going on with the world. Yeah, I'm looking at the photo now. That is one of the most bizarre uh, images that I've ever seen. (laughs) Cool jerseys, though. I like those Pacers uh, racing stripe jerseys with the checkered flag. Yeah, they're nice. Let's um let's post this to the Instagram after the show so everyone can see what we're talking about. Oh, there you go. Behind the scenes, I'll keep that in. BTS. Um, what's it? Nice Kylie, keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today, you and I, in our last couple of episodes, we've been we've obviously had a couple of guests on, but we've also been talking ourselves, heading into this bubble, saying obviously who's going to win it all, who's going to be the victors, and a lot of the time we end up saying, well, look, the Clippers, the Lakers, or the Bucks, and we say. Well, we're not breaking any ground when we say that because that's, they're obviously the three favorites and they look very strong. But today, we're each going to give a team that we believe are uh, not, not necessarily under the radar contenders, but contenders that should be getting a little bit more love. But also, we love the fact that they're not LA or Milwaukee. So, Dante, let's just, uh, let's just dive right into it. And I think my team... Obviously, both our teams need no introduction, but you've heard me be a little bit high on these guys for the last couple of weeks, and that's the Houston Rockets. Because Dante, can you see, can you see a, a path to victory when it comes to the Houston Rockets? Yeah, I can. I mean, like theoretically, like because their ceiling. Yeah, I think they've got a high ceiling because they've got two former former MVPs and like you know current All NBA level players. They've got maybe they've got probably probably the best scorer in the league on their team mm. uh, and clearly you know since the the deadline when they traded away Capella and acquired Covington and just committed to all in small ball what they've been trying to do is just make teams play their game so you know they they say either if you stay big we're gonna just like blow you off the court by going small and if you go small to match us then you have to take one of your you know, three, four best players off the court to match us in terms of size and that, you know, benefits us with our transcendent talent at the top. Mm. Uh, so I think that's the theory that behind it that, you know, you can talk yourself into it. But then the, the other side of that is, is kind of like, if you know, 
if, if you compare them to a team like, say, Denver, where the Denver's just above, just above them in the standings yeah. um, currently. So, you know, a team in that range, Denver's deep, deep in a way that Houston isn't. Like, instead of having Ben McLemore, Denver has Gary Harris. Instead of having, you know, like Daniel House, they've got Jamal Murray, you know, these guys who can do a bit more than just like play defense and shoot the three. Yeah. So I think if I had to wager a guess, I would say, you know, it's much more likely that Houston's going to run into one of these teams with a deep, versatile roster that can just do more than they can. Because whilst they will try and do what they do and do it well, I think that that does put like an artificial cap on how good they can be. Dante, you have set me up perfectly for one of my main reasons why I like this Houston team, and that is rest. Because obviously, no one's played basketball for four months outside of you know people can train at home and and whatever. But everyone is rested, and we're seeing that going into these games. Guys look good; like there's no niggling, <laughs> there's no niggling injuries outside of the Denver Nuggets for some reason. But everyone's rested, and that's been a bit of a knock and a bit of a problem for the Houston Rockets in past playoff. Uh, playoff runs because obviously they've had to get past Golden State which has been an incredible feat in itself but James Harden prides himself on being the guy that doesn't rest and the guy that plays all 80 or 82 games like he's always in he checks in he gets his 30 to 35 points a night and then he's done and he does a great job but when it comes down to the playoffs when defenses get tighter and obviously you know the refs swallow the whistles and hopefully we see the refs swallow the whistles a little bit earlier than the playoffs this year the I really like this team going in that's fully rested. And and you mentioned their point about depth, which is which is an issue. And throughout these the first two games anyway, Houston have been playing what is it like eight deep or nine deep, you know, with the with the ninth man getting maybe five minutes a game. And they are not going deep at all. So when you talk about someone like Denver and it comes into the playoffs and Denver's got like good players one through ten, let's say. Mike Malone's not going to play 10 guys. He's going to shorten his roster and he's going to go he's shorten his, his rotation and go down to an eight-man roster or maybe you know maybe a nine-man roster. So Houston is already locked into the lineup and rotation that they're going to have and they are simply just honing it in these next the six more games to go. And I think I think it was also telling. Another one of the reasons is they, they beat Malarkey yesterday, uh, yesterday from when we were recording this. And... It was a bit touch and go at times because, God, I feel really, really bad for PJ Tucker because he's getting posted up by Brook Lopez every single possession down. And if he can't, if Brook Lopez can't manufacture anything, posting up a dude who's like a foot smaller than him, he passes out to Giannis and Giannis has got to get by James Harden. And obviously he couldn't do that in the last possession of the game. And James Harden had a nice little post-game interview where he said, next question. Um, but... I think that was uh, maybe not the most telling game because we want to see it in the playoffs, but both teams were trying to win. Both teams arrested, and Houston got away with the win, and that's with not all of their guys shooting great. James Harden had a really good game. Russell Westbrook had a good game, but it's not like P.J. Tucker was lights out. I think he was like below 30% from the, from the floor, um, and they were able to, to come out with the win. Um, Dante, did you, did you see anything or you know, like anything in that, in that matchup that gives you a little bit more faith? I didn't watch it, but from what I've heard, Houston was able to, like, shake the bucks away from what they like to do best, mm. which, you know, they've been like a monolith of system this whole season in that mm. they, defensively, they're going to do the exact same thing as every opponent every time. 
Um, and for the mo- for most of the season, it's worked, which is why when you look at the you know like the player defensive ratings, the top seven players in the league are all bucks. When you look at the team, they've got the best defense. When you look at the rim protection numbers, they're best. So it's clearly worked. So Houston's you know probably correctly surmised that they can't beat them by doing that by like doing you know playing the way that the bucks are literally the best in the league at, at shutting down um and the bucks do give up a very high volume of threes so you know if if those threes go in then they they could be in trouble against a mm-hmm. team like houston mm-hmm. but i just i yeah i mean i don't know i just feel like there's i mean to your point about them only going eight deep and now they're honing it you know to use the denver example again i still prefer denver's eight you know Mm. You, I'd, I'd take you know you're looking at Jamal Murray, Gary Harris over Eric Gordon, who's been bad this year. Um, you've still got guys like Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant, Will Barton. You know all of these dudes who are really really good, like who'd be like good to be like the fourth. You know that if they're, like they'll they'll be on the court and they'll be the fourth option. Mm. Some of those guys, you know, um, I just think there's a bit more there than than the limitations that Houston kind of put on themselves because. You know, we saw them. We saw them shoot sixty-one threes the other day, which is great because then you're going to get you know more than half your points off of threes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but over the course of you know a series, for them to even get past you know like Denver, LA, LA again, I just yeah, yeah. I, don't, I just don't have the confidence. Yeah, okay. Well, looks the confidence in these dudes because the system's great, but it's like you're asking me to put a lot of faith in in like Daniel House and Eric Gordon who's shooting 30% from three when his entire role like relies on him hitting threes. You know, like, it's just a lot. I think it's a lot to ask. Yeah, all right. I'll, I'll boost your argument a bit. I've got three things that are sort of pain points for me, right? Well, I've got three and a half and you're going to like the last one. But so I think when it comes to what we saw with the Bucks game is that teams with these deep rosters like the Denver or Milwaukee, they've got different looks and they can swap their guys out and they can just throw something else at the problem. So if something's not working, throw this dude out there. So with the Bucks, let's say they, they went on a bit of a cold stretch. They can say, all right, well, maybe we take out one of the Lopez's, throw in the other Lopez. So all of a sudden you're going from a three-point shooting big man to more of a ground-bound guy that, you know, if he doesn't touch the ball on offense, you're quite happy. You know what I mean? So I think just a lot of teams are able to have different looks, but with this Houston team, because they doubled down so damn hard and Daryl Morey doubled down so hard, they've got this problem where, like, yes, they've got one player on their roster and it's, it's oh, sorry, one center on their roster and it's Tyson Chandler, but he's pretty much there just as a, a bench hype guy. He hasn't played minutes really since he came over. So they don't really have another look to look at. If It's either PJ Tucker or Jeff Green or... Robert Covington at center, like that's that is your center lineup, and you can't throw out just like a clinker Pella type just to say, hey, let's just look at this for a couple of minutes. Maybe we'll just stabilize everything, and we'll just end end this five minute stretch like ten to ten or something like that. So the fact that they don't have another option to look at if it isn't working could also be a boon as well because you know also they it could be a boost because they have the experience of looking at it. But I think my second pain point is they were getting a barrage of Brook Lopez post-ups in this last game. And it was obviously, you know, a, a good thing for the Milwaukee to do because they've seen that, look, there's a smaller guy, we've got a taller guy, let's post him up every possession down. But we don't know how different, well, we do know, we, do, we don't know how different it's going to look when it's AD posting up as opposed to Brook Lopez. And 
Houston won just before the shutdown against the Lakers, and it was like a big statement win because they had just doubled down after the trade deadline on their small ball, and then they just played one of the biggest teams in the league in, in LeBron, AD, and the Lakers. Whether that works in a seven-game series, you would really hope that Ben Macklin was getting his shots. Another pain point that you brought up. And my final pain point is that when it comes down to another seven-game series and they're going small because they have no option, I think that the Clippers might actually have a better small ball lineup than the small ball team, which could be a bit of a pickle. But look, you know, that's uh, cross that bridge when you come to it and hopefully you might actually not need to cross it if need be. Um, Dante, another problem is if they match up against the Pacers, they might not have the best guy on the court. <laughs> our guy, our guy, Mr. Mr. 53 himself. <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, that's pain points that I've found. But look, I really like it just because of what, if this team gets hot, it, let's, let's say we go into the playoffs and I told you that every single team is going to get hot and every single team is going to play as good as they can play. Like James Harden against the Bucks had a bad game. He shot 5 of 14 from the floor and scored 24 points. And if James Harden is shooting 14 times, he went to the line 13 times. But, you know, James Harden, he, he's the best scorer of our generation almost. So he clearly needs to get more shots than that. But if I told you that everyone had a good game and everyone was hot, Houston looks a lot better than some of the other teams that are up there as contenders. Yeah, but that's the thing, though, in that for everyone to have a good game outside of the top two, it's just you're looking at like players who are either don't think that they will consistently have a good game and get hot, or even if they do, I'm not super excited, you know? Well, we didn't know Fred Van Vliet could get hot before he did. And we didn't know that Kelly Olenek could win a playoff game before he did against the Washington Wizards. <laughs> I didn't know the exception's not the rule. So I'm going <laughs> to go with the rule. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, Fred Van Vliet, who got hot again today, which was amazing. Mm. Um, yeah, also, was final, final point on Houston. Obviously, James Harden has lived in the MVP shadow of Steph for years. He's now sort of in the MVP shadow of Giannis. And you can just imagine a really pissed off Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Daryl Morey, and uh, Mike D'Antoni as sort of the last-ditch effort from all four of those guys trying to win a title, uh, and that's fun. Yeah, that is fun. That right. is fun. Uh, give me your team. I, I'm still, I still believe this team can win it all, and because my team's not in the bubble, I'll be rooting for them. Well, you picked one from the West. I picked one from the East, so we could potentially get a dark horse. Um final series matchup between your Rockets and I picked the Celtics. The darkest. Um, yeah, it's a, there's like a black stallion <laughs> in the, of a finals matchup. Um, I think that the Celtics are, real, are a really compelling team to make the finals. Obviously, to do so, you're going to have to go through, through Milwaukee um, and you know potentially through Toronto as well, who... The Celtics had played well. They were they were two and one um, in the season series against Toronto, and both of their wins were um, you know comfortable. Um, they didn't play the South, the um, Bucks particularly well, but you know you got to get there to be in it. So I think the reason why they're so compelling for me is because they have, I think, definitively the best wing rotation in the league. In that they've got a top fifteen player in Tatum, a top twenty five player in Jalen Brown. Um, Haywood, who can still give you, you know, like 25-5 any, any given night. And then 
some big bodied um, wing defenders like Semi Ojale and Marcus Smart. I mean, that's that gives you the ammunition offensively to do a lot of different things. Obviously, you've got Tatum, who's the elite scorer. You've got Haywood, who's the shooter playmaker. You've got Brown, who's the athletic slasher. Um, and then defensively, gives you a lot of bodies to throw out. You know, anybody who's even remotely wing size. Um, so I'm looking at specifically, like, if they're having a matchup with the Raptors, I feel pretty good about them having a way to defend Siakam. Mm. Um, and then they're also having a way to defend, you know, anybody else that, that can come in and get hot. So, you know, like Brown and Smart can take Van Bleet. You've probably got um, Brown and Tatum. Um, and even Smart, you know, on like a Norm Powell or a Terrence Davis, all of these kind of like big, big guard wing size players who can make things happen. You've got that quite possibly the best answers in the league, considering that, you know, Tatum and Brown are probably a notch below all defensive level this year, but still, you know, like almost elite. Ojale has obviously made his name as kind of like a, you know, big body wing defender and smart is multiple time all defensive team guard. So that's a pretty good place to start. They had the fifth best defense over the course of the season and I haven't even mentioned Kemba Walker who hopefully he can stay healthy but you know Kemba's a 25 and 5 guy so I've said all of that stuff and then you're just throwing like another elite level player another all-star um, yeah another all-star I think they'll struggle to contain Giannis if they happen to play the Bucks because in... they're human beings <laughs> yeah because they're human beings there's like there's no one in the league that has a good answer for Giannis even the teams with the best answer for Giannis still have a bad answer um, but that being said everything and just copy and paste what I've just said about those about those wings um, if they want to play Giannis with a wing they can just throw all those dudes at him over the course of the game and then Daniel Tice has been under the radar but put together a really good season he's um, he's quite a good defender um, yeah, they're, they're a much better defensive team when he's on the floor. Um, obviously, his backup is can't play canter, so I don't know how well the reserve minutes are going to go. But um, Tice, out of all um, out of all centres to play 20 minutes this season, Tice has the fifth best um, defensive rating. So it's not an awful place to start. What say you? Uh, I'm just worried about... You know, there's there's the age-old thing that's like if you've got the best guy on the court, you're probably going to win the series. And look, is their best guy Jason Tatum or Kemba Walker? It's probably Jason Tatum when it comes to a it's playoff Tatum. series. Who, like, is he better than one of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? I, I honestly don't think he's better than either of them. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I'm more confident in Philly to um, to get that done. I feel like the, the, the Celtics ecosystem is just so complete. It is it yeah. is genuinely an ecosystem because when one thing is doing well, everything's doing well. When one thing's doing bad, they can kind of cover for it. Mm. Um, it just seems really well meshed. Whereas with Philly, sure, like maybe Embiid puts up 35, but you know, so many times you check the box scores, like Embiid, they, they lose by eight, Embiid puts up 35 and 15, sick, and Simmons finishes with like eight, eight and four. Yeah. You know, or Simmons goes for a 20-point triple-double and Embiid's four of 13 for 14 points, yeah. you know? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. too easy to kind of isolate them and go with one or the other. And with Philly, they need both. Yeah. But it's just- too easy to kind of split them. Yeah, well, two things. I, I would really want to see them play 
in a series against Miami because, you know, everything you've said with Boston there about how they're, they're more complete. They don't have exactly have the top-end talent. But just seeing those two teams that are both so complete going up against each other, you know, one through nine, they've got really good players, which would be an incredible series also. It's, it's always good seeing Miami uh, and Boston play against each other. But Boston right now, if the playoffs were to happen today, they'd be going up against Indiana. Oh, sorry. They'd be going up against Philly. If they have to face Indiana in the first round, obviously you're worried about that going up against TJ Warren in his own bubble. But um, yeah, look, I don't think uh, Boston has played Toronto in this sort of iteration of both teams. Uh, I think I'm correct in that. And uh, I think, I don't know what happens in just a bit like what I've said with Philly. I don't know what happens in this series with them. So it might be a murderer's row if they have to go through Toronto and or Philly to then have the rights to verse Milwaukee. But look, it's uh, you make some good points. The same thing, the same thing is going to be said for the, the, you know, assuming that Milwaukee is the team that makes it to the ECF. Mm. It's going to be a murderer's row for the other team as well, because like, say it's the Raptors, they're going to have to go through what, like Indy and then Boston <laughs> or like Philly and then Boston, you know, it's, there's no like easy out. Yeah, um, Boston's three games behind Toronto for wins at the moment. And obviously, if you win, you move up to the two and you get the rights to play one of either Brooklyn or Orlando, which is very, very useful when you're just talking yeah, about the murderer's is, row. Is, yeah, just the patty cake. Um, yeah. But, I th- yeah, I just, I just feel, I feel very good about this team. And, I, you know, t- talking about teams that you hope they play to, I hope we get this series. I hope we get the Raptors and, and, and Celtics because it'll just be... Some beautiful, beautiful basketball. The one thing that I think, you know, if if we're to look forward and say like this, you know, this segment is about teams that we think could could win it. Obviously, that means that they're going to have to play a Western Conference team if they make the finals. Mm. Um, if they can somehow overcome Giannis and the Bucks, which I think there's a I think there's a roadmap to it. I think they can do it. Uh, I don't think that they necessarily will, but you know, I, I think it's it's there's a non-zero chance of them doing it. Um, looking at the teams that they might face if they came out of, if they come out of the East and, and make the finals, I think they match up really, really well against the Clippers for all the reasons that I just said. Um, I can't think of two two better people to throw at George and Leonard than Tatum and Brown. Um, and I can't think of two better bodies to throw at those dudes than Smart and Ojale when they need to when they need to rest. Uh, just their contingency plan against any team that has star wings is just really, really, really good. But similarly to what you mentioned with the Rockets, if they go up against a dominant big man, so someone like AD, mm. they don't really they don't really have anyone who can you feel good about the matchup. You know, for everything that I've said about. Tice being really good, and he has. He's not someone that you look at like a one-on-one matchup with Anthony Davis and say, "Yeah, like I'm, I'm doing it." AD went for 42 today against Rudy Gobert, who's the yeah. two-time reigning yeah, Defensive yeah. Player of the Year. And you know, while Tice is good, he's not Gobert. So yeah. I worry about the matchup of them going up against like a star, star big. Like if Denver were to come out, like I worry what they're going to do with Jokic. I worry what they're going to do with AD, but I think if if they were to you know end up facing the Clippers, then you would um, you know you'd feel pretty good from a, a tactics point of view about them not being able to mitigate, but like at least being able to handle um, Kawhi and Paul George. 
Yeah, yeah. And and another argument against this Boston team is their youth, which we've talked about a little bit. But there's something I, for some reason, just distinctly remember, which was on the Bill Simmons podcast in the 2015-16 season. So that was Marcus Smart's rookie season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I remember halfway through that season, this was like the ragtag roster. You know, they've got Jay Crowder. They've got uh, Avery Bradley when he's been good. They've got Jared Zollinger. And... Like this team was halfway through the halfway through the season, they sort of had the the choice to push and really go for the playoffs. Obviously, going for the playoffs means a lower seed, or just keep tanking and try and get a better pick. Obviously, they had the Brooklyn picks coming, so they had the luxury of being able to do both. But I remember Bill Simmons saying that you know if you're in this position, just like Memphis are today and have been throughout the season, if you're in the position to really really go for it and be able to make the playoffs with a young team. Bill said that you're you always want to get guys like Marcus Smart playoff reps when they're really young, um, so that when it does come their time to be the really good player, like we're seeing right now, and be a really good Eastern Conference team, they can say, "Hey, I've actually been to the playoffs for the last five years." It's not like when Detroit first made the playoffs and Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond were like, "Well, like, you know, you're X years older than me, um, Andre Drummond to Greg Monroe, and neither of us have been here, and neither of us know what to do." So. You know, this is weird. And they were clearly not going to make any noise. One, because they were the Stanley Johnson Detroit Pistons. But two, because, you know, they hadn't been there before. And you, you rarely see guys in their first ever playoff uh, series just make proper noise and actually like get somewhere. So I think what, what Memphis were trying to do this season before they've, they've shut the bed in their first three games is um, the reason why you do it. Because, look, Marcus Smart is essentially a playoff veteran in the grand scheme of things because he's been there before and he's done it. Yeah, I think he is a playoff veteran, <clears throat> and they're obviously a very young team. But two years ago, they were in the Eastern Conference Finals, taking mm. LeBron and the Cavs to six games. Mm. Um, I think in the same, you know, in the same way that in twenty fourteen, you would have said, "Oh, like I don't really feel that good about um, you know like Kawhi in the finals because he's really young; he's only twenty two. It's like, well, the dude, you know, a year ago he was in the finals playing against LeBron James, Dwayne yeah. Wade. Um, I think the youth has less to do with it than the experience. Mm. And I think that applies to, you know, some of the younger guys, Smart, um, and then Brown and Tatum. But then also Haywood, who obviously wasn't with the team that year. Um, that was the year that he had to sit out with the injury. Um, you know, he's never made like a deep, deep playoff run. He's never made a conference finals appearance. But Haywood for mm. the last, you know, his last four years in Utah was in the finals. So it was in the playoffs yeah, yeah. and, and Kemba, you know, Kemba has, has not been there, done that in the sense that he's achieved anything, but he's, he's been there as well. And those two dudes in particular, the last guys I mentioned, uh, you know, around 30 um, and, you know, 10 year vets, both played on different teams, both kind of been around, seen, seen most of what there is to see. Um, I think that, you know, there's, um, a distinct advantage in, in that that they face um, over like you know every other team that they might face in the east except for you know the two that I've kind of mentioned as the through line for this whole seg mm. in the Raptors and the Bucks. Yeah, cool. The Raptors obviously won a chip, so you know they kind of get the yeah they kind of take the cake on that one. Yeah, uh, Dante, if you had to pick between one of these two teams we mentioned, Boston and Houston, to win it all, who would you put your money on? I put my money on the Celtics. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say, all right, at the end of the day, I'll pick Houston, but no, you're not. 
I'm I'm so convincing that I've really convinced myself. <laughs> awesome. Well, obviously this is all for naught because TJ Warren exists and uh, he is the thorn in everybody's side. <laughs> joke oh my god! And we let him go for nothing. <laughs> Excuse you. You got cap relief and five hundred thousand dollars for your trouble. $500,000 cash considerations, baby. Anyway, Dante, thanks for taking the time to chat to me. We will uh, reconvene in a later date. Good stuff, Sean. <laughs>